Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Anti-Stigma Zone. Um, this is uh, <clears throat> this is podcast number two, first one after the introduction. Hello, friends. My name is Gerald Peachy. My friends call me Spike. All of you can call me Spike. Now, I'm, I'm starting this this podcast to tell you all a little bit of my history. Um, why I was driven to create the Anti-Stigma Zone? Well, I have a, a history of substance abuse as well as depression. So I have some personal experience with stigma. I'm going to begin my story on September 5th, 2007. Before I'd overcome... Before that, I'd overcome a life of substance abuse and the behaviors associated because I felt I owed my son, Anthony, a better shot at life than I had. And whether or not I accomplished that, he turned out to be an amazing young man. I'm so very proud of him. So, yeah, I guess I did accomplish that. Anyway, as I was saying, September 5th, 2007. That is the day I, that, that I thought my life was over. Uh, I was riding my bike after work just to get some exercise. And uh, it was raining outside. Visibility was poor. But if somebody was paying attention to the road, they, they were all was, all was okay. Unfortunately, I ran into a guy that was talking on his cell phone, and uh, he was not uh, paying attention to the road. He hit me from behind like I wasn't even there. I flew 30 feet and landed on my head. I broke both tibia legs, my pelvis, my hip, my ribs, ripped my rotator cuff, crushed both hands, went my back in four places, my skull in four places, my face, my nose, my teeth, and I had a shearing brain hemorrhage. I was grade seven in the Glasgow Coma Scale. I was a mess. Luckily for me, though, I was right outside Royal Fleming Hospital, and I was wheeled into surgery where they saved my life. I'm so lucky to have survived the whole ordeal, and I'm so grateful to all of everyone that assisted in keeping me alive that night. I was in a coma for some time, and I came to in stages. The first stage, I woke up and I realized my long curly locks were gone. I didn't remember anything, but I had no hair. That was trauma. The nurse came in and told me that I'd been in a severe accident. I was in the hospital and I would be there for some time. I didn't believe much of what you were saying. I just knew that I wanted a cigarette. I waited for everyone to leave, and I thought, aha! Now's my chance. Huh. Naturally, I attempted to get out of bed, but when my feet hit the floor, my world was enveloped in excruciating pain. Pain like I did not ever remember feeling before. I fell to the floor, and while lying on the floor in agony, I realized that I didn't have much of a memory of anything. I could not even summon the strength to scream. I just laid there, hurting for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, the nurse came in and saw me on the floor. She got some, some assistance, and I was returned to my bed. The pain was blinding. I hurt so badly. I asked the nurse if I could have something for pain. She said something was ordered for three days after I was admitted, but there were very clear instructions from the doctor that I was to get absolutely no narcotic analgesics after that because I had an opiate history. At that time, I couldn't even remember that I had a history. I was already paying for it. It was torture. It was inhumane. The next two weeks or so were just filled with pain. All day, every day, I, all I felt was pain. One day I had a radio in my room and ACDC came on. 
song Back in Black began, and I realized that I was singing along. I knew the words. As soon as I had this realization, I also had the most surreal experience of my life. Memories started falling in, falling in into my head like slides. It was amazing. And once my memory started coming back, I could remember many things. Fuzzy as it was, I remembered. Fuzzy as it was, I remembered how to kill pain. <clears throat> I remember that there was a place I could go to kill some of the excruciating pain that was my entire existence at that point. I fought my way into a wheelchair and made it half a block to the SkyTrain station. I went downtown and I scored some heroin. Ah, the relief was amazing. For the first time since I opened my eyes, I was not in agony. I still had a great deal of pain, but it was dulled immensely. It was such a relief. I stayed at Insight, Vancouver's only and North America's first safe injection site, for several hours. I had not, if I had not found a way to self-medicate, I would have killed myself. The pain was so intense and all-consuming. <clears throat> I couldn't deal with it anymore. When I returned to the hospital four hours later, imagine my horror when they told me they'd, be, they'd given my bed away because they, because they suspected that I went to use drugs. I screamed, of course I did. You wouldn't give me any. One second. You wouldn't give me any. Oh, hold on, please. you wouldn't give me any and they wouldn't they wouldn't give me any now they they told me that I, they'd give my bed away because they suspected I used drugs well of course I had they, they wouldn't give me any I told them I had nowhere to go what am I supposed to do now like I didn't remember I didn't remember a whole lot I had nothing but pain no community support my my apartment it, it, as far as I knew, it was it it was gone. Okay, rent day had come and gone. They allowed me to stay in emergency that night, but I had to leave in the morning. It was the begin. It was beginning of one of the darkest times in my life. It was so disgusting. In retrospect, it was even worse. I didn't remember that I had friends. My apartment and all of my belongings were gone. And when my, my when my landlord didn't hear from me, he threw me out. He threw me out at rent time. He threw me out and it threw everything out. So he said. And as disgusting as it was. And as much as I would fight it now, I had to survive at the time. And that took everything I had. So the apartment was secondary. I had no community support, nowhere to go, and some really disgusting injuries to recover from, some of which I didn't even realize that I had. <clears throat> I didn't even realize that I had. I was in a wheelchair, and just to make things worse, we had the worst snowfall anyone could ever remember before or since. It was so gross. Somehow, <clears throat> I remembered the recovery industry, probably because I worked in it for so long, and that's how I survived. I called and got accepted at a recovery house. How ironic, because I knew I had to get some ongoing pain support, but I was in an abstinence-based environment. I only worked for a little while, and I started bouncing from place to place. I found a doctor that prescribed me copious amounts of the new narcotic analgesics that wasn't addictive, OxyContin. That made my life bearable, but I had no idea of the severity of my head injury. Nobody had told me. I simply thought I was having the worst 
luck imaginable when I couldn't keep a place and I couldn't get along with people. I was exhibiting classic brain injury behaviors, but I had no idea. And one day after a couple of years of challenge recovery, my doctor dropped me off cold. Now, I don't know if anyone can imagine the hell that I went through at that point in my life. Not only did I have nothing for pain support, I was also dealing with the, with the withdrawal. I was in extreme withdrawal, and I thought I was going to die. I don't even really remember how I survived the next six months, but somehow I did. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. One day after six months, I was pushing my cart down my street between Granville and Seymour. I got to the alley a fraction of a second behind the garbage truck. I was on his right, and I was a pedestrian. In my mind, I had the right of way all day long. It, was re it, it, it really was clear that he did not see it that way when he began to advance. First, he was turning left, and all of a sudden, he wrenched his wheel to the right. Hard. I realized that my cart was in the path of the truck. I backed up hard to no avail. My cart got caught up on the truck, and I slammed into the side of the truck, breaking my neck with a C2 fracture. Now, I'm not kidding. This really happened. I knew I was hurt, but I had no idea how badly. I remember even after no one stopped to help in rush hour traffic, I was so worried about them getting flat tires from my broken shit. I was dragging my broken ass around trying to pick up, trying to look out for their tires. Wow. When it struck me, when I saw the truck, when I saw the truck went right back to the same place and then went straight this time, I gained a lot of information from that, including that that, that had the most impact. Straight was his route, but he only turned to mess with me. I can't say he wanted to break my neck, but I can say it was intentional that that way, that way. It was intentional that, 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 that he turned and, 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 and hit me. Like, I, I, he probably didn't intend to hit me, but he intended to screw with me, and he ended up hitting me. But that was the day that I realized, really realized, how much people in Vancouver hate, really fucking hate people in poverty. It was not an easy day to be me. And it followed a great many days that it wasn't easy to be me. Sometimes when I think back and I remember some of the things that I've gone through, I wonder how I ever survived. Now, I've just shared a very dark period in my life. But believe me, I gave you the version that was rated general. I don't know if I thought you couldn't handle hearing it or I couldn't handle writing it. But regardless of who I believed I, I was protecting, I held back a lot. Someday, I'll tell you about it. What's my external desire? Well, I guess... I just want to have less of these situations happen to me. My internal desire, I want to have a profound effect on the world with the time that I have left. I just wanted to point out these realizations before I continue. Thank you, Russell Brunson. Anyway, I awoke in such agony. I had no choice. I went to hospital. I was not sent final flower to anyone because I was having an ugly day. Really, really ugly. After being diagnosed with a C2 fracture, I just needed a cigarette. A male nurse stepped in front of me asking me to stay in bed. I don't recall my exact words, but I know they weren't pretty. I have absolutely no doubt that at that point I probably told him to go fuck himself or something along those lines. I was empty. I just needed some air, a cigarette, and 
I'm positive that I wanted to break down and cry. Unfortunately, in our society, that's not an option. Anyway, this male nurse, who knew my diagnosis, took exception to the fuck himself crack. Go figure. And he grabbed my shoulders and slammed me on the bed. I freaked out. Get the fuck away from me, all of you. Nobody's coming near me again. And no one's laying their hands on me. It took 10 minutes of me screaming like a banshee for them to realize St. Paul Paul's was no longer an option. My most effective, St. Paul's was no longer my most effective treatment option. I was given an ambulance ride to BGH. Now, I share this as much honestly as possible because I want everyone to understand that it wasn't an easy situation for anyone to deal with. But the hospital staff are the professionals here. I had absolutely no delusions that the treatment would be any better. It never is in an emergency setting. I was viewed as a junkie after all. And that's the bottom line, unfortunately. I'm baffled, truly baffled, how groups of people that I absolutely know are inherently good, as doctors and nurses most definitely are, but how they can get to a place where they can hold certain segments of society apart to the point of ostracization, hatred even, and they're all okay with it. Holy shit. There is something wrong. There is something so wrong with that. It's so wrong, and if we don't make a very conscious effort, not only to recognize it, but to take personal responsibility in any part that any of us may have played, if that was indeed the case, we need to pull the ugliness off it. I'm sorry to say, we need to pull the uh, the ugliness off off of these common occurrences. I, I hate to say it, but they are common occurrences. Shine a light on them, and not to lay blame, but to realize and admit to each other and to ourselves that these things are happening. Not only are they happening many times, they are the status quo. That's the only way we stand a chance of coming out the other side of this nasty affair in any kind of a healthy headspace. This might be difficult to hear, I have no doubt. But hospitals reached, have reached out to me because they know how badly these relationships are damaged. And they know that the stigma that is present, that is the present culture at far too many acute care facilities, is quite literally killing people. Personally, I've been working with nurses and nursing students for a couple of years now. And I love nurses. Y'all really are healthcare, in my humble opinion. Regardless of how badly things are damaged, the fact that... that, that uh, somewhere the, the hospitals reached out to me, and the fact that that the words that were said to me were said. Like uh, she said, the the lady that reached out said exactly to me that there the the relationship is damaged between frontline staff and frontline patients, and she, people who use drugs, right? And would I help to repair them? She asked because she knew she'd heard about the work that I was doing, I, and and that honored me, and it still honors me, and yeah. I so very much want to help. Regardless of how badly things are damaged, uh, the combination of those things, combined with with how how interactive you all have been when I when I when I when I come out and see you, and how you're all so clearly invested in this issue, it all gives me absolute hope. Hope that nurses will take on the responsibility to be the dominant force in their acute care facility. And when they see a doctor starting to step away from care and compassion, they'll step up and intervene and just simply say, I got this doctor. Thank you. You all have the power to do that. This is your space. Even if the security is coming up and you can see that it might not go well, you, you can once again say, 
I got this. Thank you. And I don't get much in this world, but I don't know much in this world, but I know this. Uh, if a nurse speaks clearly and firmly and says, I got this, thank you, there are not many anywhere that would try absolutely anything but retreat. Nobody will get in the way of that. And I'm going to leave you all with some responsibility. If you see that kind of abuse that we're talking about today, even in its early stages, please don't be shy. Take charge of the situation before it gets to a nasty place. I know that people who use drugs are not always the easiest to work with. And now they are hurt, afraid, and frustrated with the system. We can count on them being even more difficult in days to come. Thank you all for putting up with me. This issue is something I am passionate about. I'm sorry, but I think what happened to me was inhumane and torturous. And the reality of mankind has been and, and, and the reality is mankind has been reaching outside himself forever to feel better. I believe Jesus turned the water to wine and got the party started, right? I'm sure that some of you might have a drink occasionally. Why punish me for having my drink? Because it's the same thing. Thank you. So that's where I hit the wall. Thanks again, Russell. Okay, so I got a little sidetracked. Now I'm going to specifically talk about my anti-stigma journey. Y'all have read about my accident as well as the way that I was treated in some facilities. The fentanyl crisis had really exploded in Vancouver. People were dying everywhere. It was really starting to feel like nobody cared. I was attending every convention that I possibly could wrangle an invite to, but that also became frustrating. I'd written a 35-page business plan for a hydromorphone replacement site, safe injection site, staffed and managed by peers. Somehow I knew that was a model of care that was going to make a difference. My plane gained a lot of traction, but other similar plans got the funding. As tough as it was, at the end of the day, the need was so great, and I wasn't the guy that would have been able to put it together. It was too big. I went back to the drawing board because I knew that I had to help in some way. I was so lucky to have survived my accident, and I really thought that it was my place to speak for those that have lost their voice, for whatever the reason. It wasn't until I met this amazing woman that I'm now lucky enough to include as one of my best friends, Ms. Andrea Burton. I met Andrea at the Overdose Action Exchange Conference, the second one. The Solicitor General was up in front talking about how his officer saves lives with naloxone. So they do a lot of amazing things. But they aren't, they aren't out there using naloxone then, and they still aren't. I told this to the Solicitor General, but he disagreed. I think I think uh, I was right when I... I think I, I knew I was right, but I also knew that to argue was pointless. I said, yeah, I must have been high, <laughs> trying to give the expected answer. Many people came up to me and said that... And the new, and the, I knew you were right, Spike, but they weren't there when it counted. Andrea approached me by respectfully asking, are you Spike? We met last year. Can we chat if you're okay with it? And we agreed to meet. When we met, Andrea asked what I was doing for work. I shared with her that I transpired, what had transpired with my business plan, and I was open to new options. What do you want to do? And that's when it struck me. I wanted to somehow address stigmatization within health services. It was a huge issue, and it doesn't seem like anyone is addressing it. She was great. She said, build it and bill us, and then PBC. That sounded like an amazing opportunity. And maybe I could stop what had happened to me so that it, so that it not happened to anyone else. 
I had my epiphany and I began putting together my plan. Russell, I started slow, inviting a few people from within health services. I shared with them some of my experiences and I noticed their reaction. That is when I realized that the administrators were not necessarily aware of how some of the things went. Some of the things that were happening to people. Yeah, the administrators were not necessarily aware of some of the things that were happening to people. I had to be careful how I went about it, but I saw an opportunity to make a difference. And that was that day that I chose to take on my mission to share my anti-stigma message wherever I could. The response has been nothing short of amazing. I was I was able to expand the program with more with uh, and uh, more and more with Andrea's ongoing support. I began going to universities to present to fourth and first year nursing students. I took part in issues workshops and <clears throat> their grade for those workshops helped make up their final mark. I was giving a nursing excellence award and I'm not a nurse. <laughs> I was able to speak for peers and get them included in the awards for their efforts at overdose prevention sites. We were accomplishing a lot, but there's still so much more to do. I've since moved to an interprofessional model so that all the services are available to more than just healthcare, with healthcare nurses still being one of the most important components. I'm also packaging an online version that I hope to release soon. So that's my backstory. And when I think about why I've taken this on, it is because I care about people. And I care about our society in general. It really hurt to be treated the way that I have on far too many occasions. I really felt the need within me to try to prevent this from happening to others to the best of my ability. At first, I don't know how much effect I would have. I didn't know how much effect I would have. I was afraid that I couldn't make a difference and maybe those things could never change. That was scary. As I progressed, however, I realized that what I was doing was having, already having a profound effect. It was all of a sudden a real possibility that I might be able to make a small difference. With each presentation, in each class, my confidence grew. The award did so much to tell me what I was doing, the journey was on, journey I was on, was not only the right journey for me, it was the correct journey to provide the support. I can feel ripple effects of the work being done already, and that is amazing. And now I know that more people, that the more people I'm able to share my anti-stigma message with, the larger the effect on mainstream society. We are all the same. I believe that everyone knows that on some level. They have just learned something different, maybe from earlier in life, without even being aware. What I offer is an opportunity for, to folks to relearn with me. And together we can move forward to a more inclusive society. We are all equal and we are all are treated, should be treated the same. I told you yesterday that I was training student nurses. Let me tell you about that. It started with first and fourth year students, they came down to the hood and I gave lectures about my experiences that I've had in health services, in health services. I've also have, I'd also have an associate talk about their experience. Altogether, they're left in, in quite an emotional state. We have a question and answer session so that they, calm, that they can calm somewhat afterwards. And then we walk through the neighborhood showing them all the things that are working as far as harm reduction goes. By the time the tour is over, they have a, had a complete experience. That is the formula that, that is so well that is so well received. The Nursing Excellence Awards, they were it was an amazing experience. Let me tell you about it. 
It started shortly after I was hired to work with NMPBC. I was asked to attend a meeting and that was shortly before a board meeting. It was there that I brought up the idea that peers got that, that peers get recognized in the Nursing Excellence Awards. They're doing nursing work. They're not paid for it. They're not supported for it, but they're definitely doing nursing work at the overdose prevention sites. And NMPB, NMPBC had the opportunity to be leaders in that respect by choosing to recognize this. They were happy to do so. They were very much in agreement that this recognition was long overdue. They flew 10 peers from around the province and they were recognized at the Nursing Excellence Awards at the Sheraton Wall Center. It was a really posh affair. They gave me an award to share the stage with all those amazing nurses. It was such an experience. They said so many nice things about me. I could not help it. They said, I, I had tears streaming down my face. I was honored. They were amazing people. And they shared the stage with me. Wow, it blew me away. It was such a special experience. I can't wait until this year's wrap-up to the awards. NMBBC should probably want to continue recognizing these folks. It was also very positive for them. It was a win-win. Everybody won. At the beginning of this writing, I shared with you that I faced stigma in my own experiences, and I shared <coughs> I shared a lot of, the, of these instances. Not nearly all of them. Unfortunately, our, our local society has a level of hatred within it that I have not seen elsewhere. Now, perhaps I haven't been looking, but here I see stigma against poverty a lot. There's also stigma against substance use, whether or not it's combined with mental health stigma. The training model that I've chosen when presenting anti-stigma training is to have a couple of guests that are open to discussing their own experience with stigma, as well as the feelings around that stigma. That is what really seems to impact people when they hear it from, from a person's own words. It seems, to, to, it seems that they really hear it. It's a much needed message of change that I'm sharing. Hopefully in a perfect world, we might get to a place that this kind of sharing isn't needed, but that is a long ways from here, and therefore we still have considerable efforts needed on all sides of the issue. Well, I'm just beginning to realize that this challenge that is presented by public by <clears throat> well, I'm just beginning to realize the challenge that is presented by publishing daily. I have made the commitment to publish regularly for one year. It's terrifying. What you folks are getting is the unedited journey that I am taking to build the anti-stigma's own brand. It is beginning with building an online presence to start and do what I have to to start making, uh, making sales of a quality product. I'm working with ClickFunnels to build the first sales platform designed not only to start making sales, but also to get my name out there. As I build out the brand, the anti-stigma message that I'm promoting will end up being seen by people. When educators purchase copies of my video trainings, then hopefully all of the folks that they are teaching will get some understanding of how important this issue is. We are all the same, and I think the internet might very well be to prove to be an amazing equalizer. Because information can come from anywhere and anyone, it might just prove to be the perfect medium to share this message. The next few posts will document my progress as I try to create and supply folks with a digital version that has similar success. Hello, folks. Here I am again with my next posting. Been a solid day in my world. Speaking with Andrea Burton, I found out that today that there has been a change at the top of NMPBC, and I and 
but I no longer work for them. Instead, we've come together in a partnership arrangement so they can support ACES. ACES is the Association for the Collaborative End of Stigma. It's a group that we started as a vehicle from which we can share anti-stigma zone with a local audience. NABBC's involvement ensures that anti-stigma zone will continue to be available for nurses as well as other healthcare professionals. This pleases me because that's where we started and that's that they'll always be part of for me. Today I went out to Surrey Memorial Hospital and I spoke to folks at the renal unit. They were very interactive and took the opportunity to ask a lot of questions. I felt really good about today's presentation. Funny thing is, I forgot my notes. I was presenting I've been presenting so often of late, though, we were able to swing it, and it all turned out okay. Summer's coming to a close, and I'm looking for a, what, what I expect to be a breakout year to begin. It's begun. Our calendar, is got, it seems kind of empty right now, but I anticipate that it will fill up fast. Already we have two booking, we're booking at two major, major educational facilities in the next while, plus we have Safe Supply supply convention next month. It's going to be an exciting year, everyone. Buckle up. I, I'm going to share my anti-stigma message with the world. Okay, so here we are then. And this anti-stigma zone is ready to take off. I'm just in the process of booking a tour for early September. It is for Kenzie, who works with me at Brave. I'll do that one alone, I think. I'm not sure. Um, but I think I'll do that one alone. There are also bookings at Douglas College of Vancouver Island University. I have every faith that working with Andrea will keep me and a bunch of associates busy. I know that she has put us on a solid footing and there's nowhere but up to go. I've been approached twice today by people who want to work. As soon as we figure out the money thing, I'm hoping to provide as much work as, as many people as I possibly can. I can't wait. It's all so exciting. I reached out to Neil, who was my contact in Surrey yesterday. Anyway, I reached out for a testimonial if he thinks that his group benefited from yesterday's workshop. I weighed his response, but I have no reason to think it will be anything but positive. I have no reason to think that it will be anything but positive. Of course it will be positive. The reality is, stigma is everywhere in our society, and so many people are negatively affected as a result. The impact is felt by folks that deal with the onslaught of stigma, day in and day out. It's profound. And I don't, I, I know because I'm both a mental health consumer as well as a person with lived experience around substance use. For many years, these two after roots ensured that I was not wanted anywhere for the longest time. Things are finally beginning to change and it's about time. What is really unfortunate is though this is only coming to light now because so many have perished. With each newsletter, it gets read, and each podcast it gets listened to. That's right, I started Anti-Sigma's own podcast yesterday with more info to follow. While I attempt to film my mission and share the Anti-Sigma Zone message far and wide, I've been told that regular publication should be a big part of this process. I'm new at this, so I will take the word of those who have already traveled the road. And, I, and although things might sound or feel awkward, I have no doubt that as I persevere, I will find my voice. And even if nobody listens right now, my audience will also find me when the time is right. So I want to officially thank you all for taking the time and taking me and the anti-stigma zone as we are. And I welcome you to follow our progress as I build out the brand and find my voice. Thank you very much. 
uh, signing off. <laughs>